Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here today. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 18. This is not going to come up on your screen. If you have a Bible, uh, you can read Acts chapter 18. If not, I'm going to just read through a portion and I'm going to talk about the story that's happening here, okay? After this, Paul uh, left Athens and went to Corinth. Verse 4, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I am going to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispius, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews in Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to a place of judgment. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. The text goes on. We won't read it, but... The proconsul listens to these guys that are making, these Jews that are making this attack against Paul, and he says, you guys are arguing about matters of your law. I don't care. Settle it yourselves. Get out of court. And they get all flustered, and they end up beating up the guy who decided to do the court case instead of beating up Paul. So Paul's left to preach the gospel to Corinth, which is incredible. So in this text, I want you to understand a couple things are happening. The Apostle Paul is continuing his missionary journey, and he is preaching. Every time he goes to a new city, he goes to the synagogue, which is like the church in that time. And he tries to persuade the Jews and the, and the God-fearing Gentiles to turn to God. But guys, this is a, a tough message for them to understand, and you need to grasp this. So Paul gets frustrated finally, and he says, I've had enough. I'm, I'm done trying to convert you guys. I'm not going to the synagogue anymore. I'm going only to the Gentiles. And so before we get upset or think about what the, the Jewish people are, why they're struggling with Paul's message, I need you to understand this was a serious transformation of what they're used to hearing. See, they were under the law in the Old Testament, and the way to be right with God in the Old Testament was to live up to these rules and regulations, and if you did them well enough, then you would be right with God. That's what they believed. But Paul was preaching a contrary message. He was saying the law points to our sin and points to our need of a new Savior, a new salvation. God is still our Savior, but now His Savior has come. And we are now saved not by self-righteously keeping the law, but by trusting in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. That is 
what, and so this was, how many of you know, if your whole life you've been trying to live up to a law and live up to a standard and do things in order to be right with God, suddenly a guy says, that's not going to work anymore. In fact, the Old Testament even predicted it wouldn't work. And here's the new way of coming to God by trusting in his finished work. And so they're frustrated still. And Paul's like, I'm done trying to convert you guys. I'm going to the Gentiles. And so that's what he does. This is why Galatians, you see guys, 3.24 says this, to the law was our guardian until, this is not gonna come up on your screen yet. Our law was our guardian, Christ came that, he might be, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the guardianship of the law. Isn't that amazing? You're not there, guys. Now, we're moving away, guys. We're moving away from works that are based on the legal law-based system. We're moving away from a self-righteous relationship with God, and we're moving into works. We're still doing works, but our works are based on faith. And because I trust God, now I walk with God and I live in freedom and victory. Guys, here's the difference, okay? Uh, Dead works are those things that you and I try to do in order to be right with God. Good works are those things that we do because we are right with God. That's the difference, amen? And so this is what the gospel that Paul's preaching. And so scripture predicted this moment. I'm going to read a couple scriptures that will come up on the screen for you. It says, but now, Romans 3, 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. Everyone in this room has sinned and falls short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Galatians 3 in the message puts it in another way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life. Rule-keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself into more and more rule-keeping. Okay? So this is the radical shift, you guys. It's the radical shift that's happened. And Paul is now going to the Gentiles. And God has the greatest sense of humor of all senses of humor because he says, Paul, go to the Gentiles and you're starting in the city of Corinth. (laughs) You don't know how funny that is, but you're going to find out in a moment how funny that really is. Guys, I'm going to tell you, Okay, uh, let me tell you, can I tell you about Corinth? I'm going to tell you anyway, so you might as well say yes, Pastor, enthusiastically. We want to learn about Corinth, a city from 2,000 years ago. You might find it very similar to some cities today that you know of. Okay, here we go. It was an amazing city. It was only 97 years old because the Romans had destroyed it and then rebuilt it. It had a population of 700,000 people. Second largest city in the entire Roman Empire, second only to Rome itself. 
okay? It was a multicultural Mecca. It was full of diverse people and culture, diverse social and economic class. It was a boom town and very prosperous. It was a young city full of pride and strength, but also incredible moral decadence and decay. Does it sound familiar to anybody? It was a vital trade route. It was highly strategic militarily and a commerce location. People gathered there from all over the known world, Greeks, Orientals, Egyptians, Jews, sailors, athletes, tradesmen, merchants, gamblers, politicians. It was the capital city of the province, the provincial region of Macedonia and Acacia. It was a party town. Guys, it was the Las Vegas of its day. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. You know what I'm saying? Corinth often bore the jokes of the Roman Empire and playwrights characterized them as drunken brawlers. Check this out. They even invented a word. The Greek verb to Corinthianize meant to live shamelessly and immorally. Isn't that crazy? Okay, this gets worse. I know. It's unbelievable. The main religions uh, lent to this atmosphere. They worshiped the goddess Aphrodite and Venus. There were multiple temples built. You think of a city almost the size of, of Edmonton, a little bit smaller, but think of all the churches. Well, these temples were the places where people worshiped. They had in one of the te- larger temples a thousand temple prostitutes, both male and female. To be blessed by the gods, you would pay to have sex with one of these prostitutes. So this lifestyle of fornication and licentious living was seen as a religious act and a cultural norm. To top it all off, the god Poseidon was worshipped, which was a very fatalistic and whimsical attitude was developing. You, you, to know, you may die tomorrow, so you might as well do whatever you want today. Okay? So guys, check this out. Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, this guy who's like ultra-religious in his own trying to be right with God and his own strength, is called to pastor the first church in Corinth. Okay, so he spends a year and a half just trying to teach these guys. You want to learn about the church that happened in Corinth? Yes, thank you. I knew you did. (laughs) He's very excited, and and that's great. Calm down. Oh, it's good. Here we go. It was full of divisions and schisms. Okay, guys. There was those who followed the Paul crowd, the partiers who got saved, the Apollos crowd, the Greek intellects, some that followed Cephas and Peter. They they were the converted Jews. Just listen to the type of people. And and by the way, you probably find yourself in one of these comments, so just don't judge me. Here's the Word of God, 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, or the greedy, or drunkards, nor slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's speaking to this culture. By the way, we all probably fit somewhere in that list. Slanderers, swindlers. God is helping us. The sexually immoral, this kept going in this church, guys. Okay, this is part of, this is in the Word of God, okay? How many know the Bible does not hide its warts? It doesn't hide 
you under this guise of how could that be in the Bible? It's there, okay? So <laughs> Paul finds out that this guy is sleeping with his stepmother. This is in the church. He's in the church, and he's in a relationship with his stepmom. Paul's like, that's not what you should be doing if you've been redeemed, okay? He talks to the need for marriage as protection from immorality. He talks to, about being single as well. If you're single, that's good. But if you need to get married, marry well. This is all in the book of Corinthians. Lawsuits among believers is in the book of Corinthians. This guy didn't like something that happened, and so he sued his brother, and they got into a fight, and they go to church together. And Paul's like, you guys, settle this stuff outside of the courts. What are you doing? Can't you figure this out yourself? The balance between personal freedom and, and communal responsibility. One is a vegetarian, one of me eats meat. Now, why is that significant? I told you they worship the god Poseidon. So every time a, a, sh a ship full of cattle would come in or sheep or whatever, they would always bless those animals and dedicate them to Poseidon. And so they were dedicated to this idol, uh, Poseidon. And so many Christians said, well, that's okay. I believe in Jesus Christ. He sanctifies that food. I can still eat it. Others said, well, I can't eat it. I'm a vegetarian. And if you eat it, you offend me. And they got into this battle. Are you following me? This battle was going on. Okay. They challenged Paul's apostolic authority. They said things like he talks so big in his letters, but in person, he's a wimp. This is in the scripture. Okay. It's crazy. He's, he's, this is the guy who starts the church and they end up, he has to defend his leadership. They have doctrinal issues. Some people are speaking, resurrection has already happened. You have no hope of heaven. Paul had to correct that. They have inappropriate issues during the worship service. Some people were prophesying out loud. Some people were interrupting. It was like dueling banjo prophets. And they're going off and Paul's like, whoa, what are you guys doing? Like, this is not how to do it. In some of the greatest teaching in, in the Bible on the gifts of the Spirit and in chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, for chapter 14 talks about having an orderly service, you guys. This is why we do this. And so this is this church, you guys. It's, it's pretty, talk about incredible things, uh, <laughs> doing things decently in order. During communion, this is unbelievable. So Talk about pastoring a church with some issues. During communion, people would show up and they'd have a meal together. And so some were bringing like the groceries and others had nothing to eat because they were poor. And so the people with the groceries would not share. And the Bible says they were getting drunk before the communion services. Can you imagine if we had tables set up in here and you're drinking, you're drinking while you're listening and you're like, that's, that's a great sermon, pastor. I love it. Jimmy's talking to you. Jim. <laughs> this, this is the church. Woo. Hallelujah. Suddenly I'm so thankful to be in Mournville with you in Surgeon County. Okay. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul, God says, okay, you're going to the Gentiles. I'm going to start a church in Corinth. Wow. Okay. <laughs> if a church can make it in Corinth, it can make it anywhere. So how did these outsiders, these Corinthians, become insiders? Well, they had to move from works of the law to works 
of faith. Same is true of you and I. Here's the first thing they had to do to live by faith. They had to learn to see themselves differently. Paul launches into this group of people by reminding them of their new identity. He doesn't call them Corinthians. He calls them Christians, and he calls them saints, actually. Check out Apostle Paul's opening words to the people in the group of Corinth, church in Corinth. To the church assembly of God, which is in Corinth, to those consecrated and purified, made holy in Christ Jesus, who are selected and called to be saints. Saints. Another version says to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. I send this letter to you uh, God, uh, from God and to the church in Corinth, believers cleaned up by Jesus and set apart for a spirit-filled life. He calls them saints. That's an incredible thing. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Hebrews church that says, who by one sacrifice has made perfect forever those who are still being made holy. Church, when God sees you, I'm preaching the gospel here. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. You're in Christ, (laughs) okay? If you don't understand that, you're hopeless. You're lost. You need to understand that you're now in Christ. So when the Father looks at you, he sees your life as being hidden in Christ. And that's why he can call you saints. But how many of you know, even though you've been made perfect positionally before God, experientially, you're still being made holy? Amen? How many of you still have some stuff to clean up in your life? Okay, so this is the point. He's saying the way God sees you, you got to start seeing yourself, church. And you're, you know, how many of you look in the mirror and say, you're such a dirty, rotten sinner? That's a lie. You're actually a saint. You're actually a saint. Because how God sees you is more important than how you see yourself. Are you following me? So listen to me, 2 Corinthians 5, from now on regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's who you are. That's whose you are. This is what the gospel says. And so Paul is trying to get these Corinthians to get their eyes off their self and to turn them to how God sees them. It's the foundation of transformation for them. We're teaching a course in the new year, which is September, called Freedom in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, it's essential. This is how we get delivered from our old self and walk in the newness that God has for you and I. And and so... In this course, the foundation of it is all about your identity, how you see yourself. Because again, if you see yourself as a sinner, what, it, what happens? You begin to constantly just live as a sinner. But if you live and see yourself as a saint, it begins to change your life over time. Amen? So this is what we need to understand. Guys, 
in the whole, I just encourage you, take this course in the new year. We'll be talking about it in September. Talks about who you are in Christ, that you are God's child, John 1.12. That you are a friend of Jesus, John 15. That you have been bought with a price and you belong to God. That you've been chosen by God and adopted as His child. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins, Colossians 1. Amen. You're free from condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the Old Testament law of sin and death. You've been set free. You're no longer condemned. You say, Pastor, I still struggle. I get it. I get it. I understand it. But do you understand trying to change yourself, working your head off to try and please God will not work. That's shifting back to the old covenant. That's shifting back to the Old Testament. If I just work harder, I'll be better. God, do you accept me now? That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can't stand in Christ and stand on your own works. You can't do it. You have to pick one. Trust me, pick Christ. He's way better than you at living for you. Okay, okay, so we're, we're, we're starting to peel off some layers here. We're listening, okay? What does God say about you? You're free from condemnation. That God works all things for good for those who are called into, according to Him. That your life is hidden with Christ, uh, hidden with God in Christ Jesus. That He will complete the work that He's started in you. Amen? That you are God's temple. You are a minister of reconciliation. God is speaking through your life and saying, if I can save Greg Fraser, I can save anybody. If I can save the Corinthians, I can save you Mournvilleites and Sturgeon Countyites. Amen? God can do it, you guys. This is who he's saying. He's saying, Tell, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, I told you earlier that you have work to do, but your work is not to try and earn righteousness. Your work is to declare what God says to be true of you even when you don't believe it, which is the second thing you need to do if you're going to live by faith. They had to learn to speak the truth of who they were in God's eyes and not their own. This is the work of the Christian church. The Corinthians, again, this is the teaching. I'll read you some more from the book of Corinthians. Here we go. Though we live in the world, 2 Corinthians 10, we do not wage war as the world wages war. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets up itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. See, Greg Fraser gets up and tries to live his life, you guys, and a thought comes to him, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. How do I take that captive? The Word of God says I'm a saint. The Word of God says that my life is hidden in Christ Jesus. The Word of God says that there's no, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Word of God, you see what I'm doing, is I'm taking captive those thoughts, guys. And I'm speaking God's Word over those situations. Again, in Freedom in Christ, we're going to be learning about how to tear down these strongholds in your life. That's what the text talked about. A stronghold, check this out, is a belief of habi or habitual pattern of thinking not consistent with God's view of yourself or others. Isn't that a great thought? 
because I have strongholds in my life. There's things that I was raised with that I, I think this is what I am to be right. I had a stronghold and it needs to be broken down and broken off. And I'm telling you, it's by the word of God that those things I'm set free from. And it's so powerful. Amen? Well, how does that work, Pastor Greg? <laughs> we have a great picture of it in Romans chapter 4. You can read it yourself, verse 17 to 20. This is what it says about God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. God calls into being things that are not as though they were and therefore they are. See, God speaks into darkness, you guys. God speaks into darkness. He speaks into darkness and he doesn't say, man, is it dark? Because if he said that, what would happen? It would get darker. Man, is it dark. Is it ever dark, 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 dark? No. He says what? Let there be light. And suddenly there's light. And he uses in that text in, in Romans chapter 4, he uses Abram as an example. Remember Abram, the old guy? He's like, he's old. And, and he's like... He says, you're going to have a son. He changes his name to Abraham, father of many. And Abram is so excited. He's 75, which is pretty exciting. 75, I'm going to have a son. Woo! Pretty good. And then 25 years goes by and he doesn't have a son. Well, he has a son. He tries it on his own. He creates an Ishmael, which is a whole other sermon. But it's 25 years later. God comes to him when he's 100 on his 99th and says, you're going to have a son next year. And he's like, he's like I won't even try and do a Jewish accent. But anyway... You know, he's like, if only Ishmael could live under your blessings, God. I've already done it. Just turn, bless this. And he's like, no. The Bible says he was as good as dead. Even the womb of Sarah, his wife, was as good as dead. What I'm trying to get across to you guys is this was an impossible child to be born. Are you guys getting it? Abraham had no hope. He was 100 years old. There was no Viagra, guys. There was none of that stuff back then. I'm just saying, everybody woke up suddenly. They're like, what did he say? Did he say Viagra from the pulpit? Okay, just, I'm telling you that there's no hope for this guy to have a kid. Are you guys following me? How many of you know there's no hope for you to change yourself? Come on. <laughs> I can't get over he said that. I know, get back. It's a, come back, you're good. Okay, because you're created in the image of God. Check this out, guys. Second Corinthians. Again, I'm staying in Corinthians just to tell you what he taught the Corinthians. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Amen? See, guys, you have treasures in jars of clay, church. And all of you tend way too much time you spend on the jar. And you're looking at the marred, broken, chipped, cracked jar, and you're like, man, i got to change the jar. And inside of the jar is the treasure called Christ. Amen? And the focus of your heart, fix your eyes on Jesus, the Bible tells us over and over and over again. You can't fix yourself, but Christ can fix you. He can transform you. Amen? What are you declaring? What are you speaking? This is what we're learning. Here's the last thought of how to live by faith. 
They had to learn to live with themselves and other saints who still at times acted like sinners. Anybody qualify? Our second value as a church is to accept ourselves and others while we pursue maturity together. Sometimes you guys blow it. Sometimes I blow it. You leave your phone. No, I'm just kidding. You you understand? Like, you get it. You're like, oh my gosh, you had to say that. Everybody gets that. We still make mistakes, amen? So here we go. It's probably Jesus saying, that's enough, Pastor Greg. (laughs) So remember I told you chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians teaches on the gifts. And then we have what's in the middle? 13, chapter 13. And this is what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. Does not dishonor others. Is not self-seeking. Is not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Church, you know how many times I've preached that at a wedding? Hundreds of weddings. And if it was your wedding scripture, it's a beautiful scripture. But do you understand the context is the church? The context is the church. He's saying the best way for you to exercise your gifting and the best way for you to express that gifting is through a thing called love. Why? Because you're all on the journey together, guys. You're all broken. You're all needing hope. You're all needing grace. You're all needing the the power of the kingdom of God. You cannot do this on your own and neither can the person next to you. And so we learn together, amen? We're living under a new covenant church. And this is the miracle of the preaching that Paul brought to the Corinthians. The kingdom of God works even in Corinth. The kingdom of God works even in your life. The kingdom of God works in Sturgeon County. Amen? Okay, let me end with a story. This pastor felt called to leave his church and go to a small church and he went there but they didn't couldn't really pay him much so he had to get a second job and so he applied at the state insane asylum as a counselor because he had some counseling background and so they say to him well we don't know if we want a pastor in here but we'll give you one day a week for one hour (laughs) one day a week for one hour He says, okay, we'll try it out. So he shows up the first day and they take him to building 37. And building 37 was like the hopeless cases that nobody could counsel, nobody could do anything. And when they opened the door to building 37, a locked unit, all they had was benches on the wall that were attached to the wall. And and he was overwhelmed by the scent of human feces. And he walked in and he tried to engage people. They, they locked the door behind him. He's in this room now. And he tries to engage and all he would hear would be moans and groans and, and demonic laughter. 
And so he thought, Lord, what do I do? How do I, I can't even talk to these people. Like, what do you want me to do? And he felt inspired by the Lord. And so he, he sat on a piece of clean floor and he just started to sing for his hour-long counseling session. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him, they come and they belong. We are weak, but he is strong. For an hour, he just repeated that song. First week, got up after the hour, left. Second week came, repeated the process, sat on the floor, sang the song. Nobody paid attention to him. Third week, they gave him a stool finally. He had a little three-legged stool. And he sat down and he sang the song again, the whole hour. And then this lady, bigger lady, begins to circle him like a wolf, circling its prey. And he's sitting there and he's like, Jesus, if I die, this is where I go. Like, what, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to keep singing. And he keeps singing and the woman sits down behind him and begins to sing the song with him. This goes on for weeks. And week after week, other people began to join in the singing of the song. And within a, a year, the entire of 36 people were either sent home or to sent to a part, part of the mental institution where they were self-managing. There was only two people left in that area, only two. And the, some of the people that got set free literally were cured in a year and set free, became members of his church. Guys, the gospel is powerful, amen? It can take the broken ones it can take you, it can take me, and God can change us. Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.